welcome to another episode of the Reformation Roundtable podcast. My name is Joe Stout, and this podcast is a ministry of Christ Covenant Church in Lewis County, Washington. During each episode, you will discover the sermons, exhortations, discussions, and interviews from our various weekly gatherings. Christ Covenant Church is a historically reformed and evangelical church that has been serving the greater Centralia Chehalis area since May of 2021. We meet for worship each Lord's Day to sing psalms and hymns, confess our historic faith, hear the word faithfully proclaimed, and celebrate together the Lord's Supper. Throughout the week, we go out into the world to build the kingdom of Christ right here in Lewis County. If this sounds like a vision for you, we would love to have you join us. Head on over to lewiscounty.church, that is lewiscounty.church, where you will find a calendar of events as well as current times and locations for worship. Please enjoy the following audio. The sermon text this morning is from the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, your word is truth, and your gospel is powerful. And Lord, we ask that we would receive your word and word of truth, your gospel this morning, that our hearts would uh, continue to be fertile and cultivated to receive that and for it to take deep, deep root in us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this is the first time I've been up here, and we haven't uh, been in the book of Genesis. And uh, before our new pastor arrives, I talked to the elders about um, going into Romans for just, just a couple of sermons. So I'm glad they, they agreed to allow me to do that. In September of A.D., 386, a native of North Africa, who had been a professor for many years in Milan, Italy, sat weeping in the garden of his friend Olypius, contemplating the wickedness of his life. His mother was a devout Christian, but this young man had devoted his life to immorality. He had already sired one illegitimate son, yet his mother continued to pray for his soul and sought counsel from her pastor, the Bishop Ambrose of Milan. While sitting there in the garden commiserating the state of his life, he heard a child singing. The child was singing a ditty in Latin. And the child was singing tole lege, tole lege, which translates get up and read, get up and read. Now there happened to be an open scroll of the book of Romans chained to a lectern, and he went to the scroll, and the first scripture that caught his eye 
was Romans 13, verses 13 and 14. And this is what Romans 13, 13 and 14 say. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now the man later wrote of that occasion, he said, No further would I read, nor did I need for that instantly, as the sentences ended, by a light as it were, or security infused into my heart, all the gloom of doubt vanished away. The man was Aurelius Augustine, who upon reading that short passage from Romans, received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and went on to become one of the church's most outstanding theologians, and certainly influential leaders. As Augustine read these words, the Spirit of God took them and pierced between joint and sinew, bone and marrow, to the very depths of the young man's soul. By the power of the Word of God, with the Spirit attending it, Augustine was converted to the Christian faith, and we know him today as St. Augustine of Hippo. Now why did I share that story as an introduction to uh, two very short verses in the book of Romans. Well, the book of Romans has had a profound impact, certainly on my life, but an impact on many of us here in this church. And we are aware of the impact it has had on countless generations of church uh, Christians and church fathers. Romans is a magisterial epistle and letter. Calvin asserted the book it's important saying, when anyone gains a knowledge of this epistle, he has an entrance open to him to all the most hidden treasures of Scripture. Luther has claimed that Romans is the chief part of the New Testament and the very purest gospel. Frederick Godet, the Swiss Bible commentator, called Romans the cathedral of Christian faith. And Samuel Taylor Coleridge, the noted English poet and theologian, said this, I think that the epistle to the Romans is the most profound work in existence. Lofty words for a short 16-chapter book. This epistle quotes the Old Testament some 58 times, more than any other New Testament book, even Hebrews, which quotes the Old Testament 42 times. It repeatedly uses these key words throughout the letter, God, 154 times, law, 77 times, Christ, 66 times, sin, 45 times, Lord, 44 times, faith, 40 times, and in Romans chapter 8 alone, the Spirit is referred to 21 times just in that one chapter. So again, why all this for just two short verses? Well, these two verses state the theme of the letter. They are the theme of the, the book or the letter of Romans. And it makes them perhaps the most important in the epistle. And would it be too much to say in all of literature, as Coleridge said? They are the essence of Christianity and the heart of biblical religion. These two verses. So knowing these things about the letter in general and how it's been viewed, its impact upon our own lives and that of our fathers makes these two thematic statements of vital importance to us. 
These two verses speak of the gospel of the righteousness of God. And Paul will begin to build a case in the letter of Romans against humanity that no one is righteous, not even one. I remember reading that, uh, I don't know if it's maybe a conventional thing anymore, but there was a time when law schools would use the book of Romans, particularly the first seven chapters, particularly the first three or four chapters, as Paul, Paul works to indict the entire human race of sin. They would use that and point to it as an example of how to build a case, of how to build a case to indict someone, to prosecute someone. They would point to Paul and how, how wonderfully he lays it out for, for us. And certainly as we read the book of Romans in the first seven chapters, it, it, is, a tough, it is tough sledding. It is, hard, it is a hard read. It is almost a funeral dirge. But then we come to that glorious statement in Romans chapter 8, Therefore there, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That funeral dirge converts and changes into a wedding march, if you will. In these verses, Paul will tell us that in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed and that this this righteousness is received and always has been received, by the way, by faith. This righteousness from God is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 16 says, and I'm going to focus on verse 16, the remainder of my message this morning, and then next week um, I want to deal with uh, verse 17. Again, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and the salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the gentle, a Gentile or the Greek. Now why would anybody be ashamed of something so glorious as the gospel? Seems like a no-brainer. But if we are honest with ourselves, there have been occasions in our Christian walk when we may have been ashamed of the gospel. And we have to be honest with ourselves. Perhaps a bit introspective and, and, and consider things in our life. The reason for that is that the world is vehemently opposed to God's gospel and takes every opportunity to ridicule it. And we are far more attuned to the world than we imagine or care to admit. I want to quote the commentator Robert Haldane in a short quote here. Please, please listen, he's talking about the gospel. Haldane says, By the pagans it was branded as atheism, and by the Jews it was abhorred as subverting the law and tending to licentiousness, while both Jews and Gentiles united in denouncing the Christians as disturbers of the public peace, who, in their pride and presumption, separated themselves from the rest of mankind. Besides, a crucified Savior was, the one, was to the one a stumbling block and to the other foolishness. This doctrine was everywhere spoken against, and the Christian fortitude of the apostle in acting on the avowal here he makes was as truly manifested in the calmness with which, for the name of the Lord Jesus, he confronted personal danger and even death itself. His courage was not more conspicuous when he was ready to, quote, not to be bound only, but also to die in Jerusalem, unquote. Then he was enabled to enter Athens or Rome without being moved by the prospect of all that scorn and derision 
which in these great cities awaited him. Paul was imprisoned in Philippi, chased out of Thessalonica, smuggled out of Damascus and Berea, laughed at in Athens, considered a fool in Corinth, and declared a blasphemer and lawbreaker in Jerusalem. He was stoned and left, left for dead in Lystra. Has anything changed today? The hostility that has existed since the time of Christ has often been covered with a thin veneer of tolerance, religious tolerance. But at, that veneer is, is going away. We see that. We're aware of it. We're present for it. We see the defacing of churches and, 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 and uh, organizations who, who um, uh, are pro-life and all those things. That the enemy is getting more and more bold and that veneer is going away. But the world is still the world and remains in open rebellion against God. Remains in open rebellion against God and his gospel. If you have never been ashamed of the gospel, the probable reason, as Martin Lloyd-Jones suggests, is not that you are an exceptionally good Christian, but rather that your understanding of the Christian message has never been really clear to you. I think what he means is that the message is, I think what he means is that the message is clear to you, or if it's clear to you, you'll understand to what degree we are at odds with the world. And as we navigate through this culture and society, it can be very uncomfortable, a very uncomfortable undertaking. Easy to see that when we read, for instance, 1 John. When we have the opportunity to speak for Christ, we often do not. We know the gospel is unattractive. It's intimidating and repulsive to the natural unsaved person and to the ungodly spiritual system that dominates this world. The gospel exposes man's sin and wickedness and depravity and lostness, and it declares pride to be despicable and works righteousness to be worthless in God's sight. To the sinful heart of unbelievers, the gospel does not appear to be good news but bad, and when they first hear it, they often react with disdain against one, the one presenting it or throw arguments and theories against it. And it's for those reasons and for that reason that Fear of man, fear of men, of not being able to handle their arguments is doubtlessly the single greatest snare to witnessing. That we don't want to look foolish, or we're afraid, or we wring our hands that we won't have every answer that they, that they put forward to us. This unbelieving world. That you won't, you won't be able to answer every question. Explain to me clearly, Les, what the Trinity is and how that works. Well, I, can't even, I can't even explain that to you, you believers here, of the flock of Christ. I don't know exactly, I, I can't come up with something that exactly speaks of it, but I know it's true. I know the word of God tells me it's true, and there's evidence in my life and your lives that it is true. Was Paul ever ashamed? I don't know. Perhaps, perhaps not. Timothy may be struggled, as we read in 2 Timothy 1, verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. 
In our text today, we read that Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. And one of the reasons I, one of the reasons I chose that text and asked the elders' permission to, to use that text today is I have it plastered on my vehicles at home. Romans 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and the salvation of all who believe. Now, I need to believe that. I need to have it. And I put it there. The reason I put it on our vehicles was in the hopes that I would be asked, one, what, what is that scripture and what does it mean? And be willing and able to, to respond to that with confidence, with cheekiness, with whatever it takes to, to try to get through to somebody. Paul's not ashamed of the gospel, and I'm going to lean on David Martin Lloyd-Jones this morning to talk of eight reasons why we should not be ashamed of the gospel. And that's important for us. It's important for us because it arms us and it equips us to go out to understand these things in this, in this short verse, one verse in the, in the book of Romans. Reason number one is the gospel is good news. I've already said, how can good news, how can we be ashamed of good news? We like to share good news. But there's an implication in there that to share good news, there's some, some bad news going on too, right? And people don't want to hear that. And this is the best news. Reason number one is it's good news, but it's the best news of what Jesus Christ has done for sinners. Reason number two, it is the way of salvation. It's what the verse tells us. And we know what Paul's talking about. And we can look to Paul again in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-6, for clarification that it is the way of salvation. Let me quote that. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time. What a, what, a wonderful, what a wonderful, succinct encapsulation of what the gospel is. The fact that Jesus died for us, and the proof is that he was buried, and then Jesus rose from the dead and conquered death, the, 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 the evidence of that being that he, he showed himself to Cephas and the twelve and then the five hundred others. That's documented, that's real, that's true. It's not some, some mythology that we've created. Number three, it is God's way of salvation. God's way of salvation, not man's. It's not our way. It's God's way. How could Paul or anyone else be proud of any scheme that devised by a sinful man or woman bound to human ideas? This is the divine way. The supernatural way of God to save his people, his elect. 
Go into any Christian bookstore and you'll see a thousand man-centered books and tomes about how to become better at this and better at that. How many self-help? Is this full of self-help programs? Well, how's that going to help anybody? How's that going to address the issues that we are faced with? It's not. Christianity is God reaching out to save perishing men and women and of sinners reaching out to seize God. Paul speaks about this in two ways. Contrasting God's way with our own attempts to keep the law and with our attempts to know God by mere human wisdom. As far as the law goes, we can see it further down in the book of Romans in in Romans chapter 8 verses 3 and 4 where Paul says, For God has done what he what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And regarding wisdom, 1 Corinthians one twenty one, written by, oh, guess who, by the way, Paul, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. You know, Paul also says in that chapter, he says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So I'm thinking, okay, so let me get this straight. If If you think it's foolishness, then you're perishing. And how serious is that? How serious is that and how serious should it be to us? Number four, again, just drawing from the one verse. It is the power of God, this gospel. The power of Almighty God. The gospel is powerful. It's not only these reasons that I've already cited, but it's also powerful enough to accomplish God's purpose which is to save us from what? From the wages of sin, which Paul specifically addresses in chapter 6. The wages of sin is death. And that's just an extension of what we've already known uh, when we read about early, early, early on in the Bible in Genesis. God works through the preaching of the gospel. We've already heard that this morning. In Acts 1, verse 8, which may be the theme statement in Acts, says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And where? To the end of the earth. Listen, many, many important things happen every day on this planet. Doctors cut into people's body to, to heat, to, in an attempt to heal them. Teachers teach children in the classroom. Parents uh, take care of their children and protect them. There's so many things that happen on this earth that are so vital and so important. But the most important thing happening on any one time on this planet earth is the preaching of the gospel. The most important thing. It coincides with what you've heard me say before. That the biggest threat to mankind is not ISIS, it's not the economy, it's not Joe Biden, it's none of that. 
It's the wrath of God. So it only stands to reason that the most important thing that happens is this preaching of the gospel. Number five, it's a gospel message for everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And this does not say that the Jews are more important than the Gentiles or are above the Gentiles. Paul means exactly what Jesus meant in John chapter 4 when he talked to the woman of Samaria and said salvation is from the Jews. Jesus and Paul are speaking somewhat chronologically here. Paul's point is that the gospel is for the Gentile and Jew alike, is for everybody. Why? Why is it for everyone? It's because it's the power of God. We've already said that that's one of the reasons why we should not be ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. Acts 2 verse 21 says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible ends on this note in Revelation 22:17. I just love this verse. And I know you all do too. It says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. Reason number six is that God has revealed the way of salvation to sinners. And it's only by this revelation from God that we know the gospel, that we are aware of the gospel, that we are partakers of the gospel, only because God has revealed it. I've thought before that, you know, if I was given the opportunity to write a story about the redemption of man, It would look nothing like the gospel. And why wouldn't it? If you wrote it, it wouldn't look anything like the gospel. Because we are sinful man. And I can tell you right now, the hero of my redemption story would be me. Or as I, before Christ saved me, before he pulled me up out of the miry clay and set my feet on the rock, my attempt to find God ended up composing a, an idol that looked just like me. God reveals it to us. He, he's revealed this to us sinners. And that's how he always operates. He's a covenantal God who reveals himself to us. What a privilege and how humbling and how terrifying is that. Christians must always sing, nothing in my hand I bring, but only to the cross I cling. But at the same time, simply because we have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and have the Spirit within us, we strive for and actually achieve a level of practical righteousness which the world cannot even dream about. Paul tells us in Philippians that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Work out our salvation with fear and trembling for God's good purpose for what he has designed. There is a reason why at the point of justification that we are not raptured to heaven with God. That Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and he, he is king over everything. 
And he has commanded us and not given us the the mighty holy suggestion, but rather the commission of what we are to do. We are to to go and preach the gospel. We are to go engage sinners. We are to tell them the good news. Because you're here today with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because somebody told you the good news. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it's God who put that faith in us. It's God who's regenerated our heart. It's God who has converted us. It is God who has made us desire him. It is God who has made us reach, reach out for Jesus. And Jesus said, those who call upon my name, those who reach for me, in no way will I ever deny you. In no way will I push you away. Because God has done that. And we know that. The Bible tells us that. Paul tells us clearly in Romans 8, I think verse 7, he says, we, we can't do it. He says we may not do it, but not only we, may we not, we cannot do it because of who we are. But God does that work, and he's done that work. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, he, is, he has been in you, and he's done that work in your heart. He has converted you. What a, what a beautiful and wonderful thing. Reason seven is that there's a righteousness from God. And reason eight is it's by faith from first to last. I'm going to wait till next week to deal with seven and eight, okay? I hope you'll indulge me, and you guys always do. And I appreciate that. So when we think of the gospel, when we think of the gospel, its message, its nature, and the most importantly, its source, the power and the truth of it should guide every aspect of our lives. Every week I send a prayer call out, and I, as the first time I composed the prayer call, I, I just wrote down the statement, may the, may the gracious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ guide you in everything you do today and the rest of your week. Let the gospel guide us. If we are spiritually weak and tired, it is the gospel that will lift us up and revive our spirit. If we are lethargic in our discipleship, we need to be awakened to the glories of a renewed life in Christ, the gospel. If we find ourselves indifferent to the spiritual state of others, we need to be alerted to their peril apart from Christ and be moved to take the gospel to them. When I truly still myself and think about these things, I see how I often end up in the shallow end of the gospel pool. So my question today, as I, as I finish the message, a short message for me, but a powerful one, I hope. The question is, What should be on the Christian's daily agenda? And the answer is to preach the gospel to yourself. Because I've given you reasons why we should not be ashamed of the gospel. And honestly, it has nothing to do with us, so to speak. 
glory in the fact that the gospel is one good news that it's the way of salvation that it's god's way of salvation that it's the power of god that it's a gospel for everyone it's salvation revealed to sinners it's a righteousness from god and by faith from first to last that is something to never be ashamed of instead with gratitude and humility love and faith in god we step out into this world of family, of friends, of co-workers, of fellow students, into our community with, with a strength and boldness derived from and rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is our God and we are his people. And we need to be those people. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.